A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. We're going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. As always, dad is an energy, not a gender. Great week. Another great week of movies. Say it every week. Every week. So many good weeks. Yeah. Let's uh, get right into it. How many smackaroonies? Five. Five smackaroonies. Yeah. Technically seven, but we did a couple of rewatches because we're freaking killing it on the watching 365 movies this year plus oilers in the playoffs yeah if there's a if there's a screen to be sitting in front of we're sitting in front we're of there <laughs> <clears throat> all right i kicked it off this week mm. with a mystery movie pick um i have really embraced the ethos of my mystery movie picks are kind of a mystery even to me mm. like, i know a little bit about it but not that much. But that's enough. But that's enough. So this was one that I um, I'd heard whisperings about the fact that it was quite good. It's really hard to find. It's a horror movie. So who do you turn to when there's a horror movie that's really hard to find? Lori from Queer Horror Cult, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had a copy of it. So I got that in my possession. And I picked Lake Mungo. It's a 2008 horror mystery drama Directed and written by Joel Anderson. It stars some relatively unknown people. So Rosie Trainer as June Palmer, David Pledger as Russell Palmer, Martin Sharp as Matthew Palmer, and Talia Zucker as Alice Palmer. The synopsis is strange things start happening after a girl is found drowned in a lake. What did you think of Lake Mungo? Um, yeah, I, I knew even fewer whisperings than you did about this movie. Uh, I didn't know a lick of a thing about it. Did you know the title, though? <clears throat> no. Oh, you didn't know? You really didn't know not even a lick of a thing, you say? No. Going in like a baby, um, not knowing anything. <laughs> Big and stupid. <laughs> um, but uh, what I will say, when this was over, holy hell, one of the best ghost story movies I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, it's... Per- I, 
it's funny because it's presented as a mockumentary. Um, yeah. But like an earnest one, not like an office type of thing. Yeah, it feels more like it's um, like an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Yes. Or something like that, like an investigative documentary about something mysterious. Yes. And we have watched a lot of investigative documentaries about supernatural or murdery things um, that are actual documentaries. Yeah. Like this would pair really well with Ghost Watch. Yeah, it'd be a great double feature night. Mm-hmm. They do end up going in different directions. And I don't know how much Lake Mungo was trying to convince people it was real. So much yeah. as it was using the device of a mockumentary, which is different than found footage. Yes. Oh, yeah. Big time. How did this feel different? You know, we've watched a lot of found footage type things lately. The Outwaters. um, Skinnamaring isn't found footage, but it, it feels in that vein. How is this different? Well, I think that it's trying. I feel like it's the device that it's using of it being a documentary, like a over the shoulder interview type of documentary, maybe is lending itself a little bit more to rooting it in reality. Yeah. Um, Whereas found footage. Found footage is very subjective, maybe, because you're kind of seeing found footage from a person's point of view. It's typically kind of first person. And I think it can be easy to get like at first a found footage film can feel very, oh, this could just be footage that was found. But eventually it starts to feel like, no, this was cut together by somebody. Yes. Whereas a documentary by its very nature is already edited. Yes, exactly. Because, yeah, for me as I was watching this, it kind of hit a point because, again, not knowing anything about it, I didn't know if it was real, a real documentary or not. But it reached a certain point where they're showing certain things and I'm like, oh, this isn't this isn't real. Um, but that, that didn't lose me at all. I wasn't like, oh, this is all bullshit and I hate this movie now. And I wasn't trying to convince you it was real. I, th- I thought you had heard of it. Um <clears throat> It was on the 101 Scariest Movie Moments that Shudder did this past year, and I made a skip it because it was something I wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess not knowing what it was, that didn't really register for you. So one thing that I knew before going into this was that Mike Flanagan is a big fan of this film. Mikey Flan. We like him. We like his stuff. What I found out afterwards is that Jordan Peele is also a big fan of this film. Mm. Um, and both of them have talked about it as like a very scary movie. So I did a lot of like eating my words this week because I feel like a couple times on the show recently I've been like, oh, I'm not scared about things anymore. <laughs> things don't scare me. I'm very brave. Um, you know, I'm just like, oh, horror. I can handle it. Um, this scared the piss out of me. Yeah, same. I feel like you and I were pretty aligned, like almost one-to-one for like the stuff that just were really gets under our skin and sticks with us and really creeps us out. I mean, I think both of us independently, there's a scene in the ring <laughs> involving a closet that it will haunt our dreams forever. Yeah. And this has another element of the kind of stuff that just rattles us. And it's done so effectively and so well in this. Um, There's multiple times throughout where I'm just like, no, yeah, no, the first stop time- it. One of the things that you and I don't like happened. I I looked beside me and you just went, no, 
and like your hands like went down too, like you did like an X motion with your hands. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that this was going to be so scary because I didn't know that much about it. And I get it confused sometimes with Eden Lake, mm. which is another kind of, I think, more difficult to find movie. I think that one is more like relentlessly gory, um, almost Last House on the Left mm-hmm. level of violence. That is not what's going on here. Yeah. Um, this is eerie. And it just lingers. It's still horror. Mm-hmm. It's t- definitely the type of horror that if this kind of stuff doesn't scare you, you'd be like, that was dumb. Yeah, totally. Like it's either going to get you or it's not. And also if something like the mockumentary is just like not for you, then this probably is going to be something yeah. you don't really like. Like if you can't suspend your disbelief enough to be... To be like, oh, this is all fake. This is this isn't even real. This is this is like if you can't get past that, it'd be tough to find enjoyment in this. But what I do appreciate about this is it's it's supernatural and it's ghosty supernatural. Ghosty supernatural scares me, and I think I've talked about this on the show before. But demon supernatural does not. Yeah. And so something like the Conjuring that starts kind of ghosty and then turns demony. It loses me. It loses the the success it was having at scaring me. Because mm-hmm. um, once it gets all like, like that just, that doesn't scare me as much as something is in the corner and you don't know it. Or there's well, a presence in your house and you can't identify it. Or like it's not trying to get into you. Yeah. It's just there and you can't escape it. That scares me way more. A demon possesses me. That, that fucks all y'all, but doesn't really, like, I, I don't know. Well, I guess my soul is damned or something, but. But, like, that's the thing. With demony stuff, the solution to it 99.9% of the time is religion. Yeah. Like, it has a solve. You don't know or how to. Or an ha- attempted solve that doesn't work, but yeah. Yeah, but it's all rooted in religion. Yeah. Um, and whether or not you believe in angels, demons, God, exorcisms. Devil. Yeah. Like, possessions. There's so much of that that's rooted in that. Um, but with ghosts and hauntings like that, those, you know, whether you choose to believe them or not, it's based in actual people and the spirits and the souls of people that have maybe unfinished business or they have a purpose for being there that isn't rooted in religion necessarily. Yeah. And I think that's where I often am quite moved or scared Mm -hmm. or both by ghost stuff that isn't demon based. Because there's so much room to play with the thematics of what's going on, of like why a haunting would be happening. Yeah. See The Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Blind Manor on Netflix. And Mike Flanagan, it was so clear after seeing like Mungo that it was a direct inspiration on Haunting of Hill House. Big time. Um, Which leads me to the fact that this movie is quite sad. Like this movie is about grief. Yeah. It's about, you know, a a daughter, a sister that dies and the family is moving through the grief process. And I feel like the supernatural elements are there to help bolster the idea that grief is complicated. And what do we search for in our grief? Um, Now it was really scary. (laughs) Yeah. For me. But like, that's the thing too. I mean, you can draw the ties to like haunting of hell house, haunting of Bly Manor. But the reason that those 
to series works so well for me is because it does that. It scares the piss out of you, but it has a heart and it has something uh, to say about grief, loss, family, life, death. Like it, it's, and it's, it's done so well. It's a bit of a bummer that um, this guy hasn't made anything else. Really? This is it. And, um, and it's, you know, 2008, it was a, it was a while ago. Um, there was a really clear Twin Peaks inspiration to me in this. Mm-hmm. I mean, and immediately cueing to that from the fact that the girl who drowns is named Alice Palmer um, and she drowns. Mm-hmm. So if you know anything about Twin Peaks, then you know that the central question in the original series is who killed Laura Palmer and she's drowned and wrapped in plastic at the start of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, but even aside from that, there's some surreal kind of stuff going on in this that felt very Twin Peaks inspired. Um, and it goes down some like interesting sexual <laughs> yeah. directions that also felt very Twin Peaks-esque. Um, there's an ultimate reveal in this movie that I thought was really scary mm-hmm. and really horrifying and really existential and, I don't know. It got me. Yeah. And I was like scared after. Like, that's the thing. That's the thing I was saying the other in, in the other episode is that it's not like I don't get scared in the moment, but it doesn't last. Yeah. Like the movie's done and I'm fine. No, the movie was done here and I was not fine. I was like, I got to turn. Usually this bothers you, but I, I walk upstairs without turning on any lights. Mm-hmm. Um, couldn't do that. I needed all the lights on mm-hmm. um, and I didn't sleep very well. And then yeah. I had to teach the next day. And I told all my students, I watched a scary movie last night and then I couldn't sleep. So sorry, I'm a bit out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like like we said, this is the kind of stuff that gets under our skin and really creeps us out. I also had a tough time sleeping after we watched this. But again, all subjective because uh, I know that it's, it's, um, we're also, we're so inundated with like, this is the scariest thing you're ever going to see. But it depends on the person like somebody else could see this like like you said and just think it's dumb or it just doesn't hit that way for them totally cool but just so you know scared the piss out of us this was great this was a great pick i'm so glad i got to see it and i got to go in knowing as little about it as i did which was nothing do you think you'd watch it again i think i would yeah yeah would it be one sometimes i find there's movies that I would watch again only if I was showing them to somebody who'd never seen them before or there's movies I would watch again because I want to experience them again. Yeah. I think this would be a showing it to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I'm at. How did Lake Mungo make you feel? Creeped out and saddened as all heck. All heck. Yeah. No. Freaking heck. How did it make you feel? It made me feel... An absolute lingering sense of dread. Yep. But I just, it, it took me, by the next night I was okay. That first night I was, I was not. And I have a feeling it's something that'll creep its way back in unexpectedly at certain moments yeah. in my life. <clears throat> but very, very, very glad to have watched it. Yeah. Great pick. Okay. For my mystery movie pick, second movie of the week. I wanted to dive back into a film that we have seen before and quite liked. We watched the 2021 action drama fantasy film, The Green Knight. It was directed by David Lowry 
and uh, written for the screen by David Lowry, but it's based on a poem by the Gowan poet. Whoa, yeah. mysterious. It starves the very babely Dev Patel as Gowan, uh, Alicia Vikander as Essel slash the lady, uh, Sarita Chowd- Chowdhury as mother, um, Sean Harris as king, Kate Dickey as queen, um, Ralph Innocent as the Green Knight, uh, Joel Edgerton as the Lord, Aaron Kellerman as Winifred, and uh, Chris McCallum as Lord in Waiting. Don't forget Barry Keoghan as Scavenger. Oh, yes, of course. Scavenger. Um, synopsis, a fantasy retelling of the medieval story of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Um, hey, I was very excited to watch this. We recently picked up the A24 special edition Blu-ray version of this. So I've been like, I want I want to crack it open. I want to pop I it in. I think it might be a 4K, baby. Oh, even better. Even more resolute. <laughs> what do you think of the Green Knight? <laughs> so we saw the Green Knight twice in the theater. Um, <clears throat> and on paper, it's something I, I shouldn't like because I don't really like medieval stuff. I don't think we covered the last duel on the show, but no, that's probably one of the most recent movies that I hated. Yeah, that I like objectively thought was a horrifically bad movie, um, and you know, like I I watched Game of Thrones, but I I was not ever as into it. It was fun. It's the it was fine. It's kind of the same way that we're watching the Oilers in the playoffs right now. It's fun <laughs> to be a part of a community of everyone that's excited about this one thing. That's how we felt watching Game of Thrones. I mean, you get pretty amped about the Oilers. The other night, I told you that the game was on a Friday, but I got it wrong and it was on a Saturday and you were really bummed. That's more of a just like planning an evening kind of thing, though. I don't know. Watching you watch the Oilers yesterday, you were just like, this is thrilling. I'm like, Dreisaitl, come on. My <laughs> <Mick> God. David. <laughs> I mean, McDavid with that breakaway on a, on the Knights power play. Not to mention Dreisaitl just like getting all the points. So if you came here for movies, turns out you're here for hockey. Just kidding. <laughs> Bad oiler, rad oiler. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> rad oiler is definitely Dreisaitl. Yeah, Bad oiler is definitely Kane because I think that guy's stinky poo-poo. <laughs> I mean, we're Edmonton people. Maybe we shouldn't say anything bad about the Oilers. Uh, come for us, but don't. <laughs> anyway, yeah, like this, this like on paper is something I shouldn't, I shouldn't vibe with. But then it's David Lowry and, you know, speaking to what we just talked about with like Mungo, a ghost story is one of my all time favorite movies. I've only seen it once, but. And we covered and we watched it just before we started the show. So we so, haven't covered it. So we'll definitely revisit it. And I liked what David Lowry was doing there. I don't know. It's just like this movies, you just kind of got to vibe it and then figure out what it means later. Yes. Come for the vibes. Read for the understanding. Yeah. Or be willing to just be like, eh, I don't get it, but I liked the way it felt. Yeah. You kind of just got to let the experience of watching it wash over you a little bit Mm -hmm. and not get so, not worry or concern yourself with getting into the weeds and getting really heady with it. Because, yeah, you, you can do that after the movie. It's um it is something that I find, you know, this is the third time watching it. Got to watch it with subtitles this time. I feel like I get more out of it on every watch. 100%. 
And part of that is I've done some reading about it. And I think it's totally fair for folks to say, if I have to read about it to understand it, I don't want to watch it. Yeah. Um, And if you were like on it enough to just like get it the first time, you're a genius or maybe you're a medieval literature person and you've read the original poem. <laughs> Real smart. Real smart. I can't not say this. Mm. It's so Macbeth. <laughs> or maybe Macbeth is so Sir Gawain. Which came first? Arthur- Arthurian tales or um, Shakespeare? Shakespeare. Billy S. I'm going to guess that... Arthurian, I would say. Yep. Yeah. The, uh, this poem is from the 14th century. Um, so what, that's the 1300s. And Shakespeare was writing in the 1500s. So there you go. So Macbeth is so Arthurian. Yeah. Um, he was writing in the 15 and 1600s, you know, late 1500s, early 1600s. But nonetheless, as a reference point, it felt very connected to what Macbeth is exploring in terms of a lust for power mm-hmm. and how power can corrupt a person and like what the difference between a ruler who wants power and a ruler who wants to lead mm-hmm. is. Um, and the more I watch it, the more I'm just intrigued by the themes of it. Yes. And, and what it's exploring there. What about you? It's funny because, yeah, I wasn't even after the first time that we watched it. Uh, this is such a visual treat. It's beautiful. Um, that I just kind of got wrapped up in that and just kind of lost. I, 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 I kind of lost myself in not wanting to c- care too much about what it was trying to say mm-hmm. or any of the deeper themes it was trying to explore. Because I just I was able to take it very surface level and still enjoy the hell out of this movie because it's. On surface level, it's pretty straightforward mm-hmm. if you just take the plot as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this guy on a journey from one from point A to point B, back to point A. Um, and the people and the experiences he has, uh, the people he meets and the experiences he has along the way. And it's done so well. But yeah, watching it and like, having somebody like you in my life that likes to deep dive after the fact and look up the stuff. And I happily, (laughs) I'm happy to listen to all that and take all of that. in. it just enhanced my experience that I already enjoyed from the film. But I, I have found that I feel like the first time we watched this, I gave it a four out of five and then it was a four and a half out of five. And then after watching this time, I'm like, God damn, I fucking love this movie. This is a five out of five for me. It is. Um, it's a bit of a weirdo movie. Like I could see, some folks who love Arthurian stuff not loving this. Totally. And then some folks who love arty weird stuff being like, well, I didn't like the Arthurian part of it. So it's it's playing in, I think, a tricky middle ground. Um, I'm personally not really a King Arthur guy. But because it was arty and weird and beautiful and icky at times, um, and I like the themes of it, I really dig it. There's creepy shit in here too. Yeah, there's there's some like I think I said when we were watching it, like this is Sleepy Hollow for adults. Like if you liked <laughs> yeah. Sleepy Hollow as a as like a younger t- like person. Tim Burton's Sleepy yeah. Hollow specifically. Yeah. This has got some of those vibes, but like elevate it and make it more abstract. Yes. And like take some of those elements that are in Sleepy Hollow, but like take them to their R rated 
for like version. Yeah. Um, that'd make a sweet double feature. Truly. Some Ichabod and then <laughs> and some Gowan. And some Gowan. Um, I do find it so fascinating taking the conversation in a slightly different direction. That David Lowry is either this like strange vibes based emotion heavy a24 baby boy or like a disney shill well he is a perfect example of a one for them one for me kind of who knows maybe he was really passionate about peter and wendy and pete's dragon and pete's dragon he just loves the name pete (laughs) (laughs) i have not seen either of those movies and i don't plan to um but i love that he's in bed with two of the biggest studios in A24, which is big in the sense of like popularity and being well-known, and then Disney. <laughs> I mean, those are two pools that it's not bad to dip your toes into. But I'll be on the lookout for his next A24. Well, now he's done Peter and Wendy, so now he owes He's got to go back to A24, yeah. 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 Uh, we've ha- we have some really interesting connections between the things we watched this week. Um, and one of them in this movie speaks to a rewatch that we did, mm-hmm. which is uh, my personal favorite movie of all time. Um, one of my students, we were doing a little, I had, a, I had a graduated student come and speak to, to my creative writing class this past week. And so we did a start with like names and pronouns and then a question. And the question was, what's your favorite movie? And I said, after sun. And one of my students goes, I thought it was that Korean movie. And I was like, no. And then my graduated student was like, clearly you don't follow Burton on Letterboxd or you would know (laughs) that After Sun (laughs) is the favorite. So this movie has like the Green Knight has one of my absolute favorite 360 pans in anything ever. I'm just obsessed with what's happening in it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's one of my favorite parts of the whole movie. But then After Sun has one of my other favorite 360 pans. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, A24 has two films with two very iconic 360 pans and both effective as hell. Yeah, I it was a really, it was a good week too for watching things we had seen many times in theaters, finally watching them at home with subtitles because this yeah. was our first watch of After Sun with subtitles. And I caught a couple new things. I think mostly I, I, I had it all. Yeah. A, a couple of things of like mostly... um people kind of talking in the background mm-hmm. that like, I don't, I don't think unless you've got like dog level hearing, you would have picked up. <laughs> um, but that was a cute little, cute little connection there. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I love Dev Patel in this. Yeah. He, I mean, like I said, off the top, super babely. We both like him independently but I think he's a really great actor. Like I love when he shows up and stuff. What's he shown up in? He was in like, um, I mean, I've seen Avatar, or not even the last airbender. He's in that. I liked him in skins. I liked yeah, him. When he's a little baby. Um, I liked him in a little bit of the newsroom that we've seen. And Oh, there's, there's something that's on the tip of my tongue. Slumdog millionaire. <laughs> yeah. That's not what I was thinking about though. I don't know. I just like when he shows up and stuff. I'm like, you're good. Seems like you want him to show up more. Uh, yeah, especially in lead roles. Because mm-hmm. he holds this movie down and does it really, really well. I mean, the movie is really him. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, he's, and he's incredibly compelling. I wanted to say too, like we've kind of spoken about how aesthetically gorgeous this movie is. The other thing that's really gorgeous is all the promo art direction for everything. Like all of the posters, all of the mm. graphics, the type treatments, I think is just like chef's kiss. A24 does a good job of that. Yeah. No, they care about how movies look and like what the aesthetic of the movie is outside of the movie itself. Exactly. They want to set up a good vibe in all of their promo art to get people to come to these movies. Yeah. And I, I personally love it for this film colors. Yeah. It, the, everything's is so good. Highly recommend you check it out. Made me want to see the movie even more. So I was all in. Um, I also say like the the supporting performances. Everybody in here and everybody that he meets along his journey. Um, I'll say notably Barry Keoghan mm-hmm. uh, does a does an incredible job. Even like you and I have expressed a bit of a I don't know what a good word for this is, but a bit of a ness about Joel Edgerton. Yeah, that's just because I think The Gift is a despicable movie and he made it. I think he wrote it. Yeah. But like in this, I thought he was great. And I he's in so much stuff. And I just wish that he didn't make The Gift. <laughs> or that we hadn't seen it. <laughs> because whenever he does show up, I'm like... He does a good job. He's great. I always enjoy what he brings to the table. But The Gift was a piece of shit. And that's and like morally a piece of shit. Yeah. And I just like and that mo- and that movie just felt like, oh, I'm so clever. Just wait till they see this twist. It's mm, you know and then like, the twist was disgusting. Yeah. Um I think Alicia Vikander kills it in this. Yes. Because both as Essel and the lady, she has a couple lines. She's a, she's a singular line as Essel that I think is the heart of the movie. Yeah. Like, I think it is the thesis of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then she has this um, kind of speech, this monologue almost as uh, the lady where she speaks about green, like the color green. So good. And that to me is about the thematics of the movie from a symbolic perspective, right? Yeah. So we've got this like very clear as Essel, like this is what this movie is directly about, like clear cut and just hits like it hit me especially hard this time oh yeah god damn that's a good line and then as the lady she brings it into like this more abstract symbolic place like why is it the green knight why is it you know this this journey he's on what's with the color green um and it's just so arresting the way that she she gives that monologue i don't know she's great in it after it stopped i was like that on this viewing, I'm like, this reminded me of the Indianapolis speech from Jaws. Like the amount That's of, high praise from you. The amount of weight. I, I love Jaws, my favorite movie. But that scene is so arresting and just is such a standout in that movie. And I felt the same about the lady's speech. The green speech. Yeah, it's 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 really great. I, I was compelled after this. I'm like, I kinda wanna go watch Ex Machina again. We've only seen it once and we weren't in bed with A24 then like we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made me want to watch a ghost story again too. Yeah. And we will. And we will. Yeah. All right. 
Yeah, this movie's this movie's great. It's got it's got everything. It's just so my jam. I love it. How to make you feel? Every time I watch it, it makes me feel intellectually challenged in a way that I like mm. and artistically moved. Ah, uh, yes, it's really nice. For me, it's made me feel even more head over heels with uh, the beauty that is this movie. Really liked it on this on this watch. Liked it on every watch, but this one it just sung a little bit more. This one it got to five out of five. Yeah. What a lucky little boy. Oh. Mm. <laughs> you love to make kissy noises yeah. into the mic. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> we went to the theater. We did. I was really excited to see this movie and um, every once in a while our favorite theater in the whole world, Metro Cinema, uh, does a handful of showings of like a newer film. And we had one last chance to get in and see this, so we did. We went and saw the 2022 film Sick of Myself. It is a comedy drama and IMDb lists it as a horror, which I'd like to to chat about. Yeah. Um, it's directed and written by Christopher Borgley. Um, it stirs a lot of people, but I'm going to narrow it down to her kind of two leads, which are Christine Kuja Thorpe as Signe and Eric Sather as Thomas. The synopsis is a little long, but it's a good one. So let's, let's listen. Okay. <laughs> hey listen up uh, open your ears okay uh, synopsis for sick of myself increasingly overshadowed by her boyfriend's recent rise to fame as a contemporary artist creating sculptures from stolen furniture Signe hatches a vicious plan to reclaim her rightfully deserved attention within the milieu of Oslo's cultural elite increasing oh that and then I just uh, it, it's not that long I just copied it twice <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm not the synopsis is so nice <laughs> you copied it twice we, you know, I hadn't known all that much about this, but it was kind of showing up occasionally over the last handful of months on Letterboxd and the poster is so deliciously mad. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I was really kind of hoping in, to go into it knowing very little, but we happened to catch a trailer when we were at a different Metro show. So we knew a little bit more than I think I'd wanted to know. Mm -hmm. Um but I was very excited to see it. What did you think of Sick of Myself? Yeah, I was intrigued by the poster. I was intrigued by the trailer that we had seen uh, when we got to Metro previously. So I was also looking forward to this movie. Didn't know what I, really what I was getting myself into. Yeah, this was this was a ride, and I, a ride I could not have expected. Uh, this was a movie that premiered at. Or, or, I don't know if it premiered, but it was at Cannes last year. And I was saying, I was saying that um, if you paired, if you were at Cannes last year and you saw this and you saw Triangle of Sadness, you would feel like the Cannes Film Festival was just trying to make you want to barf the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> like this this movie made me feel a little bit sick. Well, this is there's a particular brand of media that I refer to as icky. Yes. And it has a, like, when I mean icky, I mean, like, there's something about it that feels wrong. Yes. And yet you can't look away. Yeah. And there's a part of you that kind of relates to it, but then you feel sick at yourself, pun intended, for, like, being intrigued and and connecting in certain ways. So Yorgos Lanthimos, to me, does a lot of icky stuff where it's just there's just something deep in your gut that is like I'm incredibly compelled by this and I'm repelled that I'm compelled by this Lars von Trier 
He can. He can dabble in it. Um, And and I think there's like, there's icky fiction and there's icky art and it's it's not icky television. It's it's not just in film. Icky fiction is a good album name. Icky fiction. Icky thump. White stripes. Okay. (laughs) We're going to get copyright sued by Jack White. Um, But there's a book called My Year of Rest and Relaxation by Atessa Moshvig. She was one of the writers on Causeway, which is not an icky movie. Um, and Atessa Moshvig, she makes icky fiction. Right. My Year of Rest and Relaxation is about a wealthy millennial who decides she just doesn't want to really exist for a year and she's just going to get all the prescription pills she can and she's just going to be like zonked. For a year in her apartment. Yeah. That's her plan. Um, this would pair so well with that. Mm. Like reading that book, watching this. It is, it is, um, there's been talks of it being made into a movie and, and originally talks of Yorgos Lanthimos making uh, My Year of Rest and Relaxation. But the, the protagonist in that and the protagonist in this are so incredibly unlikable. Mm-hmm. Did you find Signe unlikable? Oh, Yeah. Like, I mean, actress, incredible, incredible work because yeah. you made me just feel like you were such a deplorable person. And then after the movie was done, I realized she was from Ninja Baby. She's the lead in Ninja Baby. <laughs> yeah. Which she's so likable and so I feel so much pathos for her in Ninja Baby. Small moment of self promo. If you haven't listened to our episode where we talk about Ninja Baby, episode 24. Um, when we went to Toronto with one of our favorite people, Ashley, frequent guest. Um, and we got to show each other some movies over that week. Highly recommend you listening to that one. Episode 24. Nice. Will you be my best friend? Is what it's called. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, she's so likable in that. And I didn't even recognize her in this. Yeah. And then afterwards I was like, oh man, that's her. She is someone I just want to flick. Yeah. There's so many of the characters in this. Mostly our two leads. Deplorable people. And it has that thing of like, it. it's so, everything is so unlikable. And you and I have talked a lot about how we struggle with unlikable characters in TV because you're investing in them over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. I definitely wouldn't watch a series about Signe. Hell no, no. But you know, an hour and a half, a little over an hour and a half with her was huh. very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, this is such a twisted story. It like, and it just explores, you know, ideas about being seen, uh, and the selfish and destructive paths that we do, that we take to do so. Um, especially us as like a millennial generation and younger generations, like just trying to break through the noise and stand out and carve a path for yourself this is definitely <laughs> taking it to an extreme level yeah and at, uh, and at one point a really fucked up level there's a dream sequence in this movie that i'll never forget it's probably one of the grossest most visceral things i've ever seen i loved it and i hated it which brings me to the fact that it's listed as horror on imdb yeah there's do some- you agree I again, I feel like we've had this conversation of like as soon as any element of 
gore viscera type of stuff is introduced that it's like oh this is a horror movie or this is this is horrific yeah. um i don't i, I don't know I think there's elements of body horror in it, but I don't know that that's enough to make this partially horror. I mean, it's it's playing in some similar realm, realms to like The Fly, but The Fly to me is horror and this is not. Yeah, like... This is funny. We laughed a lot. Yeah. I Like, I feel like there are some, like, I feel like it might lean more suspense than horror and but like even that's tough because like suspense in that like i just don't know what the hell is going to happen next and i'm kind of scared about that so maybe it is horror <laughs> i don't know but like just if this came onto shutter and i threw this on thinking i was getting into a horror movie i would be a little bit i'd raise my eyebrows a little bit like that. huh hmm. was that horror, horror. Um, we did laugh a lot yeah, this was very funny in a dark humor kind of way. Yeah, and in like you're laughing in, in like incredulity, like you're just like I can't believe this is happening. Yeah, there's a there's a scene where it was just like nail in the coffin for like I do not like our protagonist zero percent, uh, and this person on the street calls them out for it, and it's both hilarious and also like. Yeah, I would also say the same thing. I want to kick her in the shins. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, would I watch this again? I feel like, again, I would want to watch it with somebody who's never seen it. This was um, this was one that I was just like, oh, Ashley would, would have loved this. Yes. And then the next day at work, I made her watch, look at pictures. And I told her about it. And she was like, oh. <laughs> So I think I would, yeah, I would show it to someone who I thought would enjoy it because I'd, I'd be interested in their reactions to some of the things, but I don't think I'd pick it up and watch it again on my own because it's just so, it's an ugly movie. Yeah. And I think it doesn't quite know what it's saying about disability. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there's some moments that are a little questionable. Like like getting into some ableism, because um, it's it's also trying to make a bit of a it's trying to poke at kind of like woke culture and how it's leveraged for capitalism. Yeah, and that was because there there is this scene um, at a model agency mm-hmm. with a character who's blind, where I was like, oh, I don't feel good about this. But then I also felt. Because that that character has a line where they basically call out the agency for not being accessible. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, so maybe that's the point of this is inclusivity at its barest bones for capitalizing on what is perceived as wokeness. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a, there's actually a critique of that within this. Yeah. Uh, in which case it's not ableist, but that th- there's a lot of mental gymnastics having to go on to like make sense of that. Cause just in the moment when it happened, I was like, I don't like that. Well, it's the whole movie is reveling in discomfort and deplorable people and using humor to highlight how deplorable some people are. Yeah. So you do have to do some mental gymnastics of what is the film actually saying? Yes. And I think what it is saying, I'm I'm pretty on board, but feel gross about it. Yeah. Hence <laughs> Icky. Icky. 
Um, yeah, so it is an icky, icky movie. It's an icky flicky. <laughs> it's an icky flicky. Patented. Yes. Icky flicky TM. Bad dad, rad dad. <laughs> um, it's an icky flicky and it, the characters are unlikable and it, it makes you feel, I mean, made me feel really sick in my gut. Um, but I quite enjoyed watching it. Yep. How did it make you feel? Simul- simultaneously entertained and sick to my stomach. Icky, flicky. How make you feel? It just gave me this like also simultaneous, hilarious and head shaking disbelief. Like I think most of what I was doing in this movie was like, <laughs> how, why? <laughs> Come on. That kind of thing. But yeah. Yeah. Be mindful of your own tolerance for icky flickies. Yes. I love that. Icky flicky. We went to the theater again. We did. Um, I, my excitement and desire to go see this film grew and kind of reached a point where I'm like, Kylie, we, we got to go to this on opening night. I'm like, oh, you're using my name. This is serious. <laughs> um, we bought some tickets to the opening Thursday night show of the 2023 action adventure comedy Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. It was written and directed by James Gunn. Okay, it stars Chris Pratt as Peter Quill slash Star-Lord, Bradley Cooper as Rocket, Palm Klemtieff as Mantis, Dave Bautista as Drax, Karen Gillian as Nebula, Zoe Zeldana as Gamora, Vin Diesel as the voice of Groot, Chuck Udi uh, Iwuji as the High Evolutionary, uh, and Will Poulter as Adam Warlock. Probably missed a bunch of people. Sean Gunn as Craiglin. There's so many people in this movie. <laughs> um, synopsis. Still reeling from the loss of Gamora, Peter Quill rallies his team to defend the universe and one of their own. Uh, and one of their own. A mission that could mean the end of the Guardians if not successful. So this is kind of, this is James Gunn's last MCU movie because he's taking over the DCU. So this is his last Guardians movie, but last time that he's going to be doing anything in the MCU, I guess. And he was the one that brought the Guardians into the MCU. Was at the helm for all three of, the, of these movies. Very beloved movies. And a, played a big role in the overall MCU. So, going out with a bang. What do you think of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? So, I feel like we have to start with where we're at with Marvel right now. Yeah, um, that's a good place. Which... There's so many people saying so many things about Marvel and it swings hard in both directions of like people who say that they're just money making capitalist machines are are like uh, elitist. And then on the other end, people being like, you're a sheep. I don't know. It's like <laughs> it's like COVID, but Marvel, you know. Right. Um. And I think we fall somewhere in between. You know, I was reflecting on how we weren't always all in on Marvel. No. Like I saw Iron Man just because it was something to do um, Mm -hmm. with my friend Garrett, who was just at our house today, Mm -hmm. Um, which is an interesting fact if you know that he lives in BC. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, it would just be, oh, a friend was over. And and then, I, you know, I kind of watched them here or there if I was interested, but I actually never watched the Thor movies. I never watched the Captain America movies. I went and saw Avengers because I liked Joss Whedon before I knew he was 
beep, beep, boop, boop. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't all in on them, and I don't think you were either. Um, yeah, like I mean, I I saw Iron Man when it first came out, thought it was great, and then I just kind of I think you and I saw Iron Man two in the theater, probably. But we never saw Iron Man three. Yeah, I I feel. I feel like things in the for the in terms of MCU picking up steam in our lives was around when Spider Man was going to be introduced in Civil War. Yeah, and I also I do think Guardians got us into it a little bit, where it was yes. like the first thing that was characters we weren't already familiar with because yeah. we you and I both independent of each other love Spider Man. Yeah, I love the X Men. I don't know about you. Yes. Like the X-Men have always been my like favorite superheroes. That is besides the point here, but like it's X-Men and Spider-Man mm-hmm. um, that I've always really, really liked. You're more a Batman, Spider-Man guy. Yeah. It's really like the line is so thin. Between but, Batman and Spider-Man? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Batman, Spider-Man, bad dad, rad dad. Um, but I feel like we kind of started to see that we could enjoy these movies even if we didn't already know the characters. And of course, Guardians is what starts the Thanos storyline and it's what starts the Infinity Stones. And I think around the time of Guardians 1 and 2 and then Civil War coming out, in preparation for Civil War, we watched all of the Captain Americas and then we just kind of bought in. And at that point, we started seeing every single one. We started going on opening night and we really enjoyed the camaraderie of it, like the everybody's here everybody's excited yeah i'll never i'll never forget the feeling of going to the openings of infinity war and endgame and black panther yeah like those are three movie going experiences that are some of my favorite yeah ever just this like excitement and like collective wa- watching experience and then i think a couple things have happened i think the MCU genuinely has decreased in quality. Yep. And I think it's oversaturated. Like, I think people are just exhausted. There's so much. And it's like, well, I don't have the time to keep up with all of this. Mm-hmm. And then I think COVID did it too, right? Like, we lament all of the time. I'm so sorry that people have to listen to this all the time. But what's happened to cinema etiquette? And, you know, we saw Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, an incredibly beloved franchise, on opening night and it wasn't even half full Mm -hmm. and there were some talkers and there's people coming in late. And I just feel like, you know, pre COVID that wouldn't happen. Forget MCU saturation, just pre COVID, even if the MCU was already saturated, that theater is full and everyone's there early. Yeah. Like we saw the same kind of thing when we went and saw um, multiverse of madness and eternals. I would say like all three of those, it was just kind of like, the the vibe in the theater was lukewarm. Yeah. It was restless. It was, you know, and, and then, then you add on top of that, that like it, Eternals and Multiverse of Madness weren't great movies. Yeah. So it just, there's a part of me that after we left this and we came home, I was reading some reviews and I think even you put something in your review, but I just kind of got hit with this really strong feeling of sadness, reckoning with the possible end of, MCU excitement and buzz in movie theaters. Um, and we need to look for it elsewhere. Yeah. Um, from MCU 
from from MCU movies because I don't I feel like they're just in a spiral right now because I don't think people give a shit a, a big of a shit about the TV shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Quantumania being a huge bust and now the fact that Jonathan Majors is in a place where he's at right now and he's supposed to be the big bad creates problems. Mm-hmm. But all of that being said, I th- I I feel bittersweet that this Guardians Volume Three may be the last great MCU movie. And this this was the interesting thing because I was reflecting on how Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness was the last time that I was like all in on going to a Marvel movie. Yeah, it was just like like I was so excited for it. I you know. I'll put um, No Way Home into the Endgame Infinity War Black Panther level of excitement on opening night. Yeah, that was the last time I was truly like. And the theater was excited and and it was like a good collective experience. Yes. And I think that's more just because Spider-Man is so. So beloved as a character Mm -hmm. outside of the MCU, like cinematic stuff. Yeah. and, you know, Multiverse of Madness, both the theater experience and the movie itself, when I had been so excited for it, really just popped a hole in the tire of my, you know, MCU love. And it's been just like leaking and leaking and leaking. And I, mm. I got excited for Ant-Man because I've liked the Ant-Man movies and I really like Paul Rudd and I, I really liked Jonathan Majors and I feel very complicated about everything with that now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everybody said it was terrible. And I was just like, you know what, let's not go see it. Yeah, And so I really was not keen to go see this. Like you said, let's go. And I was like, oh, really? And that's sad. Yeah. Because I used to get, it used to have been like, no question, just buy the tickets. Well, yeah. Like even like uh, Thor Love and Thunder. Yeah. That was another disappointment. And and we went to it opening night. Yeah. And it was just, you know, so. Yeah, that is sad. And it's, and same for me too. Like it took me so long to get, to feel like maybe like maybe I want to go mm-hmm. to no I'm looking forward to going and it was it was as soon as people started saying that it was it was getting good reviews it was people, just kind of the opposite of Ant-Man Quantumania where we were like yeah maybe we'll go and then it was like uh maybe we won't here mm-hmm. it was like okay maybe we'll go and then it was like okay I'm glad we're going yes so to get into the movie proper what did you think of the movie itself aside from all the marvelness of it i think that this movie is a bright spot amongst among all of the recent MCU releases, TV and films. Um, the guardians I think are really special for the reasons you said of how much they introduced. I think, you know, while the second in the series is not my favorite, I quite like the first guardians movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the guardians in not their films. I like, mm-hmm. I like the, the roles that they play in like the infinity saga um, but I find I find the Guardians are really special because their story is really rooted in found family, mm-hmm. and I I've said this a few times now. Found family is just our emotional kryptonite. Mm-hmm. If it's done really well and it's really beautiful, then I'm I'm all in. Mm-hmm. Um, and this movie took that to a new level and reveled in it. Because it's always been what Guardians was. Yes. But this film makes that the explicit focus of the movie as opposed to 
tangentially what's going on with these characters and their relationships. Yeah. Like it was, this is the thematic core of this movie is exploring this family that they have created. Yeah. And this movie was not only a celebration of that, but a celebration of where all of the characters have come from and where they're at at this point now. Yeah. And where they're going because James Gunn is, he leaves them here, right? Yes. Um, yeah, I've had I've I've read from some folks being like it's like James Gunn wanted to offer us one last good MCU movie before he walks into the sun. Yeah. And you know, I I feel like that's the the very fact that this is paired with his transition to the DCU has some weight. Mhm. Where it feels like maybe it's a bit of a fuck you to the MCU to like this movie mm. because it's made by a person who's leaving the MCU yeah. and knew they were when they made it. At a moment where MCU seems to be in kind of a bit of a free fall yeah. in terms of quality. And I mean, not to mention the fact that James Gunn was originally fired from this film. <laughs> yes. Right? So there's a, there's a lot wrapped up in it. I really liked it. Yeah. I I haven't I don't think outside of like Infinity War Endgame that I can think of right now have I had a MCU film hit me so hard emotionally. And with those ones when it did hit hard emotionally it was like in a singular scene or or part of the movie. Yeah. I don't know that I have cried so consistently throughout the entirety of a movie and so like intensely like heaving sobs and Mm -hmm. shaking yes (laughs) as i have in this movie now it's playing on things that are particularly emotional for you and me and for most people i think although some people i'm like your cognitive dissonance is showing if you're getting really emotional (laughs) about this um your cognitive (laughs) dissonance is showing oh excuse me (laughs) excuse me are you crying at this what did you have for dinner tonight (laughs) your cognitive dissonance is showing oh fuck (laughs) Man, called out. <laughs> if if you eat meat and, and you and cried at Guardians crying, of the Galaxy, check yourself. <laughs> Put that cognitive dissonance back in your pocket. <laughs> yeah, give me those Kleenexes. You don't deserve those. <laughs> you use those to wipe the chicken wings off your mouth too. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh shit. <laughs> anyway, um. This film is, it knows the heartstrings it's pulling on for like 99% of the world. Um, Mm -hmm. Was any of the emotion, was all of your emotion tied up into the things that were happening strictly or was any part of it because this was ending? Because I don't think the Guardians is like your favorite necessarily. No, not even, not at all. So like did the fact that this is the potentially the last Guardians of the Galaxy movie and that James Gunn is leaving it here, did that play a fact? I don't think so. I think after, I don't even think I was really thinking too much about that when I saw it. I think afterwards I started reflecting on that and feeling some sadness because despite the fact that the guardians have never been my favorite, favorite characters, they really catapulted in this, particularly Mantis and Rocket. Yes. Anybody looking for some gifts for me? I'd take some Funko Pops of them. (laughs) Um, Love them both. Yeah. Profoundly now. I liked them before, but I, I feel like I love what those characters stand for 
mm-hmm. after this film. And so it's a little sad that like, oh, this they really skyrocketed to a place in this and now they're done. Well, and I felt like there was some, especially with like, I agree with you on those characters. I think what they did with both of them is great. Mantis is the hero in this movie emotionally. Yeah. Um, and like they give Rocket so much more like fucking give, give both of them an Oscar. Like they were both incredible. Yeah. Um, but even I, there was so much low hanging fruit stuff they could have done with Gamora and where Gamora's story ends up. I absolutely love. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's so beautiful and unexpected. And I, yeah, I loved it so yeah, much. Yeah, a lot of the stuff that goes on with where these characters are by the end, I feel that it's something people need to see. Yes. And we need to see it in in places like Marvel movies where kids can see mature ways to go about these types of situations. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was I was really a fan of where the film netted out. I had some classic complaints at first i was like this movie's moving way too fast like i like whoa 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 and then you know it has a third act fight scene that's very cgi it has some really cool moments within it it's not my least favorite third act fight scene Mm -hmm. but i know when i rewatch this there's parts that'll wear on me Mm -hmm. um where i'll just be like oh okay and all of the cgi spaceships fly and now um but for the most part I mean, this just got me yeah, emotionally. Well, and another thing with this one too is that this isn't the Chris Pratt show. Thank God. Like I feel like Guardians 1 is very much Star-Lord and focusing on what Chris Pratt can do as like the lead person who is the core of the Guardians. Here he's like, he's still very much the core, but it's not all about him. Yeah. He's kind of just, he's, he's kind of the glue that is like that everyone is attached to, but everyone gets so much more to play with in this one. Yeah. It because was... we've had so much time to develop with them over the course of so many movies. When, when the MCU has worked, that's what's been so beautiful about it is that we know these characters so well that a singular line of dialogue can mean so much more because of this history of 30 some other movies. Right. But when it's not all quality content, you start to resent that fact that like, oh, I had to watch this other thing for this moment to make sense. You know, and it's something that Disney's doing not just with the MCU. It's it's what's happening with the third season of The Mandalorian requiring you to have watched three episodes of The Book of Boba Fett to understand what's happening at the beginning of the third season of The Mandalorian. And it's starting to feel like it's not about the content and the quality of it. It's about how many numbers we can get. Yeah. How many eyes on this? How many dollars? That's still just the tangent, but that's still one of the things that pisses still pisses me off. Like we did it, but it's interesting too because like we watched those freaking episodes of Boba Fett, a show we were not interested in watching at all. But we were talking with your brother, who is a Boba Fett fan. Who yeah, he was has watch- loved Boba Fett from the time he was a young boy. Who was watching that show, and we were like, so what do you think of it? And he's just like, I was liking it, and then it got interrupted by three episodes of The Mandalorian. Yeah, he said he felt like the show he was watching was robbed by the Mandalorian. Yeah. And he likes the Mandalorian. So like it pissed people who didn't want to watch book of Boba Fett, but did like the Mandalorian felt pissed off and people who wanted to watch the book of Boba Fett felt pissed off, even if they liked the Mandalorian. So yeah, Disney is really pissing people off, including us. Yeah. And so, yeah, it is so bittersweet that this was 
quite good. (laughs) (laughs) Because it feels like the the person who did the good stuff is he's gone. So like what, what are the hopes that anything will be good ever again? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it feels like part of what made this good was that there's an ending. Like maybe sometimes they just need to fucking end things. You know what? That's totally true because this movie, because we knew it's the end, it felt like there were stakes. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we'll see the characters, but we won't see them like we have in one, two and three. Yeah. And you know, that feels like, it feels like Thor's story should have wrapped up in Endgame. Mm-hmm. The way that Captain America's did. Yeah. And by continuing to push having these Chris Hemsworth movies, they're just not good anymore. Um, speaking of which, though, I have a very funny quote from Taika Waititi, if you'd like to hear it. Okay. So you know that there was a period of time where James Gunn was not going to be the director of Volume 3. Mm-hmm. And I guess there was rumors that Taika Waititi was going to do it. And he was asked about it in an interview before James Gunn was rehired. And this is what he said. Those are James's films. That would be like going into someone's house and saying, hey, I'm your new dad. And this is how we make peanut butter sandwiches now. Feels kind of awkward. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Like OETD. Also cute little connection to our movie journey this week. We went and rewatched uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie um, at a matinee showing. And both this film starring Chris Pratt and that film starring Chris Pratt, even though we're not big Chris Pratt fans, use the same Beastie Boys songs. Yeah. Beastie Beastie Boys song at a pivotal part in the movie. Yeah. No Sleep Till Brooklyn, baby. It's great. Yeah. I I, I love that. Um, Yeah. There's like, there's some really touching, really beautiful stuff in here. I thought it was a really solid ending. Like if this is the end of the Guardians... In the MCU, I think they left it at a really nice place. I agree. Um, I'm sure they're going to fuck it up. Not James Gunn. It's not Kevin Feige. Not his fault anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm glad that we went to see this. Um, I, was, I was super impressed. I can't believe I cried as much as I did. Yeah, I cried so much. Yeah, lovely. How'd it make you feel? We've been dancing a little bit around why we cried so much, but this is going to give it away a little bit. But Because uh, I, I, and as, no spoilers. Most people know what this movie's about, but um, what this movie really made me feel was a desperate desire to go home and hug my cat. <laughs> <laughs> Just smush him to my face and give him so many kisses and yes. tell him I love him. Yes. Yeah. And continue to not eat meat. <laughs> yeah, that's really nice. I like that. <laughs> How did it make you feel? Uh, bittersweet that this may be one of the last good MCU movies. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, yep, yep. Closed it out with a mystery pick. I picked the 2018 documentary Shirkers. This is directed and written by Sandy Tan, and it features many, many people, but I think the core important people are Sandy Tan, Jasmine Ng, and Sophia Sadiq. The synopsis for this is a woman explores the events surrounding a film she and her friends began making with a mysterious stranger decades ago. This was another one that, like, I don't even know how this ended up on my letterbox watch list, but it was on there. Um, you can look at your watch list and you can um, filter it to things that are really currently released and things that are on the streaming sites you've picked. So that's what I did. I was just, like, streaming only um, and currently released movies, and I looked through them, and I was like, this looks interesting. But I legitimately knew nothing about it. And so we, we both went into this very, very 
un, uh, unknowing of what it was going to even be like tonally. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Shirkers? I thought this was a really well done documentary. Like it was just crafted so well. And yeah, I knew nothing about it going in, had no context. It had some of the most engaging narration that I've ever heard in a documentary. It's doing some fire of love type stuff where a lot of it is, is written voiceover. Mm -hmm. That's really well written and really well read. And, but in such a way it feels conversational. Yeah. Like there's little like jokes and winks and nods and emotionally impactful bits as well. Delivered really, really beautifully um, by, by Sandy Tan. The story that's being told is so inspiring creatively and so frustrating creatively. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, it's like the story of Sandy Tan and Jasmine and uh, Sophia. Sophia. Like just three badass, super inspirational people. Like I love the, the beginning of Sandy and Jasmine's story of just how they just wanted to create art. And do cool shit. Listen to cool music and discover cool things. Like just the way you feel when you're 18, 19 years old. Of just I want to soak up so much pop culture and art and learn all the stuff. And you just have the energy and the time and are at that point in your brain development where you can take it. <laughs> yeah, like you're just you're young and ambitious and creative and no one's going to tell you not to do something. And, and, and you can stay up all night. And like, <laughs> fuck everyone and yeah. fuck everything. I'm going to do what I want. Like, yeah. just that, that gumption and just like having that. Um, and then putting on, on top of that, like the fact that these are like two, two like badass women on, on top of that. And it's like just not a story about a bunch of white dudes that are like, eh, eh. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, that's really cool. And like coming up in uh, growing up in Singapore which is a place that like they mention is even more buttoned down than America even. Um, so navigating that it's just, a, it's such a badass cool story about the power and the drive of creativity. And then it kind of gets into a mystery. Yeah. And this is another cute little connection. We started the week with a mockumentary and we ended the week with a documentary. Um, and I thought this one was going in some really upsetting directions. Thankfully, it never gets as upsetting as I thought it was going to get, but it gets just as upsetting in a way I couldn't have predicted. Yes. Like I was profoundly upset yeah. by this movie and, and the mystery it crafts. And, and you know, I think on a rewatch, that mystery aspect of it isn't going to be as compelling. Mm-hmm. And and I wonder what this documentary would have been like if, if that was just like out of the way up front. Yeah. Um, I think it, it keeps you really compelled the first time you're watching, but, but what I would be interested in if I rewatched this is, is, is just the story of those three women um, mm-hmm. and not the mystery of what happened to their film. And, and I, I, I yeah, I, I'm not quite sure how, how well that will hold up. Yeah. Um, I agree. It's a little, it's a little discordant at times how like there's on the one hand, this exploration of ambition and creativity and where life takes you. And then on the other hand, this like, and this mystery and we're going to like 
make you think certain things might happen and then it goes in these other directions which which does feel very like mungo to be honest um but ultimately i don't feel like that's what the film is about and that makes me a little sad yeah stops it from being i think what could have been a five out of five documentary for me yeah because i think there's parts of this film that are so important to film history yeah and questions about the archive and absence like what's missing in the archive and opportunity and questions about who makes films and and whose films get seen and 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 i just think that that is so 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 important for anyone who loves film to hear this story yes and i think the mystery mucks that up (laughs) yeah unfortunately even though i loved watching it i was so compelled and i was like where's this going no, I agree with you. Because what I came away from this, it, it just, yeah, it just came back to those three women and how sad I was. Like this is, this explores how people in your life can douse your creative fire. Yeah. And that is one of the saddest things that can happen, I think. I used that language in my, um, my letterbox review for this. And then I was like, is that insensitive? considering what's happening in Alberta right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the whole province is on fucking fire. It's brutal. That climate change is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I also, that, that was the language that felt correct to me, is that, like, when you're young and you're creative, there is, there is, there is this fire addendum that we understand. There are fires happening in Alberta, and fire is not a thumbs-up thing. But there is this fire in you to do and to make and to try and an experiment and, and to think that you're good, even if you're not, which I think is important. I think it's important to start with like just an insane level of ego <laughs> yeah. because otherwise you won't make anything. If yeah. you're too ha- hampered by your own anxieties and fears that you're not good enough, then you'll never make the things you need to make the bad things so you can make the good things. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to see what ha- what can happen is just, heartbreaking well it's that fire and that passion and that drive like just create the stuff at a young age because as you make stuff it's going to get torn to shreds Mm -hmm. as as people see it it's going to get critiqued and people are going to have their opinions and that's going to inevitably break you but shape you as a creative person And it's learning how to navigate that and continue to hone and find your voice that that happens. I think what happens at the end of this film, like this, the story of these three women, it's absolutely tragic with where it nets out in terms of where they, where they end up as creative people. Um, yeah, I don't know as a creative person, like I said, like, it's just, where they were was so inspiring and the fact that they put this film together and that it exists now is so inspiring but my god like it's just certain things when it comes to putting your art out there can just be so obliterating and just can so easily just be like well fuck it i'm hanging it up mm-hmm. uh whatever i don't need this uh i i did this thing and yeah forget it and that is awful. 
So part of what this movie is about without getting too into it or getting too spoiler, any spoileries, spoilers, <laughs> is that these three women made a movie that never got finished. Yeah. And we won't get into the why of that, but it never got finished. But it potentially could get finished. Yes. Um, and that was really compelling to me that the choice was to make a documentary about that rather than to finish the movie. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was reading an interview with a, a website called filmmaker um, with Sandy Tan, where they asked her that question, like, will you ever make shirkers into a movie? Mm-hmm. Um, and this was what she said. She said, I thought about it and I remain cautiously curious for years. I had been filled with existential dread at seeing my own ridiculously inert performance in the leading role. Now, years later, I'm more ready to let the old shirkers find its own life to set it free. When I was attending the IFP documentary lab last year, Milton Tabbitt mentioned the idea of letting the edit center have some fun with it. I thought that was a splendid idea, but I haven't pursued any leads yet. It's like handing it over to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a five star review on uh, Letterboxd of this documentary that says there is no limit to the amount of money I would pay in order to watch a finalized version of the original Shirkers film. <laughs> and I just, yeah, I think that was one of the... I, I went away from this being like, I want to see the movie. Yeah. Cause I don't know if it's just in the story of it all that I was so wrapped up in, but it goes back to what you said earlier. Like, I feel like this movie had it been completed could have been such a light and important piece of art in film history. Had it seen the light of day. And it feels like the fact that we didn't know this story and this documentary isn't brand new. Mm -hmm. Like it feels like a story that anybody who's invested in film should know. Yeah. You should know about this missing movie. Yeah. It just feels, it feels like a requirement. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely watch it if they finished the movie. (laughs) Um, Something that's really cool is after after watching this, I was looking up Sandy Tan. Um, she is slated to be the director of a film called The Idiot, which is based on a very famous book. Mm. And I'm like, that's exciting. So like, she's, you know, she's in film, getting into filmmaking now. I love it. And 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 fiction filmmaking. Yeah. Um, one of the things she talked about in that interview was that she like, she couldn't think about making, like, finishing the original fictional film shirkers because this story of what happened weighed too heavy on her. Like she had to tell this story to make way for whatever might happen with the original movie. Um, And that makes sense from an emotional and um, personal standpoint for her. But I'm excited to see that she's going to be working in film and in other ways than just telling this very important story. But I think, she has more in her to offer than that. Um, and that this was an important stepping stone. Yeah, totally. How did Shirkers make you feel? Both inspired and frustrated as a, as a creative person and heartbroken. God damn it. How did it make you feel? Just from start to end, I just pro- felt profound amazement, negative and positive. Mm. Like just... 
in a similar way to sick of my sick of myself where I'm just like, I can't believe this is happening, except this is real life. Yeah. I really, truly think if you're somebody who likes film, watching this should be a requirement. And it's on Netflix, so easy access either if you have it or if you your politics don't align with Netflix, which I totally understand that you borrow from somebody else. Mm-hmm. That's it. Those are the, Those are the smackaroonies. Let's name the dads of the week. Who's your nominee for bad dad of the week? You know, you always make me start with bad dad. Yeah. So I'd like to get you to start with bad dad this time. Okay. I had a few a few people shortlisted, but I settled on the High Evolutionary. That's my pick as well. Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, High Evolutionary. I mean, I will say, I didn't say this when we were talking about it. I feel like he's actually one of the strongest MCU villains yeah, that there has been. Really well performed. Yes. Um, I mean, bad dad qualities. He's disconnected from humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, both his own and just the humanity of the world. Uh, he's dangerously selfish. So selfish is usually the the nail in the coffin for a bad dad, but tacking on the dangerously because he's a motherfucker. Uh, cruel, not reflective. Um, he's an a hole. He is an a hole. One, one of the worst. All I got. Yeah, I agree. He's he's destructive, he's dangerous, and he in the if you if you look at him as a as a dad figure, which I think he certainly is put in that position. Yes. He doesn't like his children as they are. Yeah. And wants to change them. Mhm. And mm-hmm. that's unacceptable. Yeah. <laughs> that's just unacceptable. <laughs> so the high evolutionary don't, don't be, be our, our dad. dad. Flick off. Okay. Who's your bad dad pick? Hey, what? I just, it's interesting. I don't know if you're going to agree with me. Oh. My pick for rad dad is the Green Knight. I kind of considered that. It's not my pick, but I, I, I have on the table. Yeah, go into it. I struggle with this because I don't want to say too much. Okay. But I think that the Green Knight as a symbolic figure, and if we think about that symbolic figure potentially being able to be thought about in terms of a dad i think he represents accountability yes mentorship honor what it means to have to promise and i also like that he's a little cheeky he is cheeky and i think that's about all i want to say about it yeah yeah well that's good i like that okay yeah serious contention here um I I mean I I was hesitant to pick this one because I didn't want to make it a full Guardians week, but I picked Rocket. Mm. Um, I picked Rocket because I I and you know maybe this is unfair to do, but I was kind of looking at his full character journey from Guardians one all the way through till Guardians three, and the fact that he learn has learned to embrace the notion of family mm-hmm. and being a part of one. He's protective of the people that he loves and cares about. He is caring. Uh, he's definitely passionate about the stuff that he likes and cares about. Um, but he's also complex. Like he's not one thing 
and that he is willing to learn and grow and change and adapt. Um, I feel like that's kind of what you want from a dad, like somebody that isn't necessarily just one thing, but has your best interests at heart and is willing to learn and is willing to reflect. So that's what I got from that. Um, I think I, I do like the green knight though. Yeah. I think I, I don't disagree with you in any of that, but I do think if, if I was asked to pick a rad dad from guardians of the galaxy volume three, I'd pick Mantis. Hmm. Particularly like if I'm looking at that moment, like that film is a singular film. Um, I like the green knight cause it's a cheeky choice. I love a cheeky choice. I think he's a pretty rad dad. <laughs> yeah. Fuck it. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. The green knight. Be, be our, our dad. dad. <laughs> um, I mean, I also have a daddy. Yeah, so do I. It's probably the same person. One, two, three. Dev- Gowan. Tell, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's supposed to be a character, not a person. <laughs> Just Dev Patel. <laughs> Dev Patel. Bonus daddy. <laughs> Dev Patel, Pedro Pascal, Paul Mescal. We've got just like... S- there's it's just synchronicity to the names the daddies they're always daddies okay gowan is our bonus daddy all right so gowan okay uh before we get out of your hair rad wreck of the week um there is a band that whenever i listen to their music it's specifically to get hyped um and to just ratchet up my heart rate and get the energy going uh, that band is The Hives. They are an excellent rock band, but we are red wrecking their latest music video for one of the best titles, one of the best titled songs ever, Bogus Operandi. Um, we'll throw the link to it in the show notes. But if you're a horror fan, specifically an Evil Dead fan, it's tons of fun. Lots of blood, lots of tropey stuff from the Evil Dead uh, films. But the song also rips, so highly recommend checking it out. Again, link to the videos in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. We drop a new episode every Thursday. You can follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram at baddad.raddad. Get a sneak peek at what we've been watching on our individual Letterboxd accounts, uh, show notes uh, for the usernames. Uh, and we would absolutely love you forever if you'd share us with the rad people in your life. And drop us a rating, review, or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. But that is going to do it for these icky flickies this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie, and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot, and my dad's deadbeat. Remember. Not all dads have to be bad. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.